to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so glad. Anything new going on? I don't know. That's what I was just thinking when you asked me that. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I was like, what what am I doing? I don't know. I must live a really boring life. I work. I work on the podcast. And then I go back to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well... You know, every life isn't a thrill a minute, right? My life is a lot of thrills a minute going on. We got a lot going on, but hopefully it'll settle down really soon as we move. I don't think I told you this. This is kind of a good news thing. It's not good news. It's actually, well, never mind. It's not good news, but it is. So this guy was digging, he was like building a driveway next door to my house last week. I have a pretty big ditch because we are on septic where I live. We don't have like city sewer or anything. Well, in the four years I've lived here, I live at the bottom of a hill. Everybody else's debris and yard trimmings and stuff have like kind of filled my ditch in. So when it rains, it overflows and then it just holds water awful. Like I almost have like a pond at one end of it that frogs currently live in. (laughs) Mosquitoes. And mosquitoes. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Before mosquito season really gets here, I've got to take care of this problem. Well, last week I thought I was going to be like super like industrious and go out and dig out my own ditch. Little did I know that it has been so wet for so long that the mud is like 12 inches deep. And when I stood in the ditch, I sunk up to my knees and (laughs) I got stuck in the mud. And I literally had to like lay down in the grass to pull my legs out. I'm sure the neighbors were like, what is that crazy lady doing? It was like quicksand. Eric was at work and I was like, what am I going to do? You know how every television show in the 70s, whether it was the Brady Bunch or whatever, you were watching the bionic woman, she's trapped in the quicksand. Yes, I loved emergency. And so I like, I guess, grew up thinking quicksand could be real all around you at any moment. I've always worried about quicksand, but you found some. I had quick mud. Anyway, I got myself extricated and um, I was like, okay, this is not going to work. I'm going to have to hire somebody with like a dirt digger. Well, I woke up the next morning and there was a dirt digger in my yard. So I ran outside like in my robe and I'm like, sir, while you're here, could I hire you to dig out my ditch? So he agreed to do it and he did it. He did a great job. I paid him cash. About an hour later, he came back to my door and he asked me if I had his money. And I'm like, what? I gave you your money in the front yard. Well, he put it in his pocket. And when he got home, the money wasn't there. So somebody had told him that I'd been out walking Lulu in the front yard. So he thought maybe I found his money. I did not find his money, but I went outside to help him look for it. And by the time 
10 minutes had passed, I probably had eight neighbors out helping this man look for his money in the mud and the dirt and the gravel. And we didn't find it. But I just thought it was so amazing that my whole neighborhood pitched in to try to help this man find his money. Well, I hope he found it maybe like in his car seat or something. I really hope it fell out in his car somewhere or somewhere. I mean, it's not in my yard. So unless it's buried in the mud somewhere. But so, I mean, not a good story, but it was a good story. It was like heartwarming that my neighbors all came out and my ditch is fixed. Well, Sherry, once again, this whole move is happening thanks to you finding the house that we're moving to in two days from today. But tomorrow we load the truck. And because we're having this big estate sale and not taking very much furniture, we're just getting a 20-foot U-Haul, but we have so many boxes. Like, I don't know how to load a U-Haul. So you suggested... Like, I didn't even know that you could hire people on each end of your move. And I told Chad about it. I didn't know that he would want to do it. And that's what we're doing. So we're going to pick up the truck tomorrow at 10. And then we have a company coming at noon to load the truck for us. Awesome. You're paying them by the hour? Yeah. And then we go, we leave on Friday to drive to the new house. And we have someone meeting us there to unload the truck. And it's so affordable. It's like 200 bucks on each end. I mean, it's like, what? You know, who could believe this? So, yeah, and they're going to do a much better job loading it and keeping it secure than you ever could have done. Oh, yeah. That was the part that I knew we were not going to be good at. It was going to be awful. Because you have to balance it and stuff. Yeah, they know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Anybody moving, if you ever are moving locally or whatever, rent a U Haul. And then on their website, you can hire local movers. It's called movinghelp.com. And there's all sorts of options to choose from. And it was so easy. I couldn't believe it. But, you know, we're moving four hours away. You know, in town, I hired movers to move us. That was, it seemed easier. Like they just came, loaded it up, moved it down the road. There we are. But for four hours away, it was going to be like multiple thousands of dollars. And then we decided not to take all of our stuff. And then we're like, we really don't need movers just for boxes. Well, and even just sometimes furniture's like awkward and heavy and We've got a few pieces we're taking, just a few. These movers, they know how to like navigate the doorways with it and I mean like listen, I thought it was going to take me all day to move when I hired them the first time and within an hour they had my truck loaded and we went to the new house and they unloaded it and they were there half the time that I booked them for. So, well, I'm so excited about it because I'm ready to get there and <laughs> get everything situated. So, well, now it's time for our real good news segment. So today I'm going to share something a little bit different. I recently saw a news article from CNN about a woman named Ada who is trying to track down a person from 1999. At that time, Ada was nearly 12 and her sister was 17 and they were fleeing Yugoslavia to the United States to stay with their brother who was in college in Iowa. There had been some bombings in their town and um, their family sent them over here to keep them safe. So while on the plane, a woman handed them an envelope with a note on it, expressing her sorrow for what the girls were going through in their home country and wishing them well and wishing them a happy future. She told them not to open the envelope until they got off the plane. When they opened the envelope, they found dangly earrings and $100 inside. And Ada said that money helped feed the sisters for the entire first summer that they were here in the United States. 
In a video that Ada made, she said, I want to be able to find Tracy to thank her for her generosity, for her kindness, for her empathy, and for welcoming my sister and I. I was wondering if you can help me find her. Have you ever heard a family member or a friend or anyone share a story that's similar to this? Ada says that at the time, Tracy was traveling with another woman whose name may also have been Tracy. She remembers that they played tennis as they had stowed their tennis rackets overhead and that they had recently been in Paris playing. She thinks that Tracy lived in Minnesota, possibly a few hours from the Minneapolis-St. Paul airport. She said both women were in their 30s or perhaps early 40s, and this was in 1989, or 99, I'm sorry. She said one was a brunette who had a ponytail and the other had mid-length blonde hair at that time. And she said on the flight that she and her sister helped both the ladies with their knitting. So she said that being given that envelope has shaped the way she lives her life and she's constantly looking for ways to pay it forward. But she would really like to find Tracy and thank her personally for the difference she made in hers and her sister's life. So listeners, if you know of any Tracys who played tennis in the 90s and may have even gone to the French Open in 1999, reach out and share this story and ask them if they have any connection to this story. It would be so wonderful to connect Ada with her and her sister's missing benefactor. And I'm going to put a link in show notes regarding how a person could reach out to Ada. And you know, that sounds so small, $100 that changed their life. $100. That 23 years later, she's still looking for this woman. So, you know, if you have the the urge to help someone, if if it comes over, you do it. You know, if you can help, just just do it. Help a stranger. I love that story. So listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about Beauty Counter, because clean beauty is important to Jen and to me. And I'm sure you know by now that Beauty Counter is our favorite resource for clean beauty. We like to avoid using products in our bodies that contain harmful chemicals, toxins, and endocrine disruptors. Through the years, I've tried other clean beauty products, but they just never worked great or stayed put throughout the day. One of the reasons I switched all of my beauty and skincare products over to Beauty Counter is that not only do I know that I'm not causing myself harm, but they work. So this summer, my recommendation is the Big Shine Duo. If you're like me, you probably simplify your beauty routine during the summertime. This is simply a mascara and lip gloss combo at a reduced price. It is the best mascara. My lashes have actually gotten healthier and longer with use of it. I've been using it for probably about a year now. It came out last spring. And I've just noticed that my lashes were really pretty short and stubby, and they're getting longer and fuller. And um, I really think it's the mascara. Their lip gloss lasts for hours. I'm a lip gloss girl. I've always got to have it on my lips. It's not sticky, and it's super hydrating. It's really They've got really pretty colors. So if you want to learn more about the Big Shine Duo or any of Beauty Counter's skincare or makeup products, go to beautycounter.com slash Sherry Bullock, S-H-E-R-I-B-U-L-L-O-C-K. Yeah, and I will second the recommendation for the mascara. It's the best mascara I've ever used. 
Yeah, like it stays on so well. I tried another like clean beauty one because I got it in a, I don't know, like a sample. Some I don't even know where I got it. And it kept flaking off in my eyes and it didn't like I wore it at work one night and it was not good. Beauty counter stays on so well, like you have to use makeup remover to get it out. You have <laughs> to really yeah. work at getting it off. It's true. It's true. And, and you know, their first, when I first started using beauty counter, their mascara was not good. <laughs> they had a different kind and they were like two kinds. They were not good. I was like, I can't use their ma- mascara. They're good, but I don't like their mascara. But then they came out with this and it's like better than anything and it doesn't damage your lashes. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are going to discuss bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder is a neurobiological brain disorder that affects 2.3 million Americans currently. We are joined today by Sarah Schley, the author of the acclaimed memoir, Brainstorm, From Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. She is a wife, mother, grandmother, and community leader. As a business consultant and speaker, she has led organizational transformations at renowned companies around the world. Sarah also has a bipolar 2 brain on the bipolar spectrum. Sarah kept her diagnosis a secret from most people for nearly four decades, but now she is choosing to tell her riveting story from broken to blessed in an effort to help save lives end stigma surrounding mental health disorders, and to help optimize healing for millions. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so glad that you have joined us today to discuss this important topic. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm really glad too, because I think that this touches a lot of us in many ways. But before we get into your background and hear about your story, what is the lesson you hope to share with our listeners today? The lesson I have to share, speak your truth, don't hold back. You mentioned, um, Sherry, that I it took me four decades to, quote, come out with my bipolar diagnosis because of the fear of the stigma. And I, I wish I'd done it sooner. You know, can I just tell you, our episode came out today, was an amazing interview with a woman who was suffering from multiple sclerosis. And she talked about in her book and also with us that she hid that diagnosis and her symptoms for over 20 years because she didn't want people to know she was in a very competitive job field and she didn't want people to know that she was sick. And so she hid it from even her family. And I hear more and more of people who, you know, have something going on and they feel like they need to keep it under wraps and not talk about it. I really credit the internet and podcasts and, you know, Facebook communities and all of that for really getting people to talk to share and to realize, I mean, like I always say that healing comes from sharing. And when people share, somebody is hearing that and they're like, aha, it's not just me. There's a a quote that I put in my book from the author, Terry Chaney. And she says, the disease feeds on shame, shame feeds on silence, and I will not be silent anymore. Oh, I love that. Say that one more time. That is powerful. The disease feeds on shame. Shame feeds on silence, and I will not be silent anymore. And then I add to that another piece, which is I believe that that shame feeds on the stigma. And because of the stigma of whatever the disease is, in my case, bipolar 2, we don't share. And people who are feeling the stigma and the shame don't reach out for the life-saving help they need. So I say stigma literally kills. What is bipolar 2 versus – it's a – I don't know all the different lingo. Can you – 
share that with us? So basically, I, you know, for the subtitle of my book, On Purpose, I said, from broken to blessed on the bipolar spectrum. Because if I asked you ladies, have you ever heard of a bipolar spectrum? Not really. I don't think I've ever heard it referred to as a spectrum. And 99% of the people I ask say the same thing. Most people don't know it exists, including most healthcare practitioners. And basically, this is actually identified 20, more than 20 years ago, but only recently is becoming better understood, is that, you know, if I asked you, when you first hear the word bipolar, what comes to your mind? Well, it used to be called manic depressive. So we think of manic episodes followed by like highs and lows. We've got the lows of the depressed. But I, I know that terminology is no longer <laughs> preferred. No, but that's exactly right. Again, every people will say, oh, bipolar, that means big high, big low, wild mood swings, excessive, you know, manic depression. But it turns out those folks are really only describing one end of the bipolar spectrum, which is classic manic depression, now known as bipolar Roman numeral number one. Well, it turns out, like so many things we know about now, you know, autism, sexuality, whatever, the bipolar brain also exists on a spectrum. And there's bipolar two and a whole bunch of others. So you ask, so what's the difference, right? Well, I think you can test me. Bipolar two, they tend to have more episodes of low depression and more hypomania as rather than full on like manic episodes that swing so much. Is that correct? You're so right. And, but what it is, is that, so bipolar two people like me do not exhibit extreme mania, just like Sherry was just saying, we don't have the big highs, but we show up to the doctor's office. I go to the doctor's office when I'm feeling low, which is lethargy, you know, low self-esteem, low affect, negativity, no desire for life anymore. Right. And so the doctor looks at me, who's maybe not be so educated on the spectrum, and says, oh, she's depressed. Let's give her an antidepressant. But the problem with my brain, with a bipolar brain, if I get prescribed Prozac, it's like poison for my brain. And I have to qualify this, not everybody, but a lot of people on the bipolar spectrum, those SSRIs can actually make you worse, which is, in my case, what happened. At first, they start to work, and then they actually make you worse. So how do you know? That you're not, how do you use this person shows up in a doctor's office with the same, you know, very similar symptoms to unipolar depression, they're actually bipolar and they will actually respond beautifully to bipolar medications like lithium if they're properly diagnosed. But if they're not properly diagnosed, they're going to get worse and even suicidal. That makes a lot of sense. It explains a lot too, because I've known some people that in my family that I suspect are bipolar and you're right. The the medications that you're prescribed for depression, because that's what you see is the depression, not high highs, but that it hasn't helped ever. So it's like you go to a doctor with a headache and the doctor thinks aspirin, but there might be a whole other bunch of underlying reasons for the headache. You know, maybe you're dehydrated. Maybe you've got hit on the head. Maybe heaven forbid you've got a tumor, you know, so, but, but you show up with this array of symptoms and people who are not as educated and I don't mean uneducated period, but just educated on the spec- bipolar spectrum, will misdiagnose you, give the wrong meds. So here we go. Last year, 71 million prescriptions for antidepressants, 70% of which were written by primary care physicians. That's a point I was just going to interject and make. Please, if you're struggling with mental health issues, don't go to your general practitioner. Don't go to your PCP. Go see a psychiatrist. They are trained. They have hours and hours of training on how the brain works. And your GP just does not. And I'm not, this isn't a put down to a general practitioner, 
but they are taught to, you know, preventative medicine, possibly, and to take care of your little things like, you know, high blood pressure and, you know, your common cold and sinus infection. They are not, they don't have the training to treat mental illness. I mean, I have a niece who just is in PCP training right now in a residency, second year. I asked, you know, how much psychiatric training did you get? It's like very little, like one month. There's just no way. And so that mistake is being made. People are getting sicker as a result. And uh, it turns out, I mean, they can go to their psychiatrist, but then here's another issue we could do a whole other podcast on, which is what's known as mental health deserts. And if you look at most of the psychiatrists, they're not enough anyway, given that I call it the pandemic induced mental health tsunami we're in right now. There's just way more need than we have therapists, psychiatrists, whatever. But if you look at most psychiatrists, it turns out, are on the coasts in Texas and Florida. So what if you do if you're not in those states? And I talked to one of my um, now, you know, friends, colleagues, bipolar spectrum expert physicians, doctors, Dr. Jim Phelps, and they've worked on this a lot. You know, what you can do, I don't know if this is if this makes sense, but there is something called a bipolar diagnostic tool, bipolar diagnostic test. It's on, now I have a link to it on my website. It's on Dr. Phelps's website, psycheducation.org. It's out there. And this is what I say when I told you guys I did a TED talk just last week. So it took 25 years, 25 years for me to get the diagnosis that saved my life, right? That I have a bipolar two spectrum brain. Five psychiatrists. They're not all as educated as we'd like on the spectrum. The fifth one I walk into, he is an expert on the complexity of bipolar. He takes, has a book by Dr. Jim Phelps that includes in it a, the bipolar diagnostic spectrum test, which you can now get online for free. 11 questions, right? Did you have your first onset under age 25? Yes. Do you have a family history? Well, yeah, my mother and my grandfather suffered terribly. And when you were given an antidepressant like Prozac, did it first seem to make you better, but then much worse? Oh, yeah. I was like, it made me a little crazy. He says, done. You know, that and a few more questions. He's like, we know what you have. It took him 15 minutes to diagnose what had eluded the medical world for a quarter century. Just because he asked the right questions is not that complicated. And prior to that, you'd probably been just being treated for depression. Yes. And I've had drugs that just bounced. Literally, there was one drug that made my brain shake inside my skull. It's a little tricky, this thing, because I'm not saying don't medication end up saving my life, but you have to have the right one. You have to have the right diagnosis. You have to have, have you know, a practitioner who's educated on this. I have to beg to differ one thing, Sherry, wherever you got the stat, I'm not sure at the top of the hour, but in my research with uh, Dr. Holly Schwartz, who's an expert at Pittsburgh and the NAMI, which is National Alliance on Mental Illness and the National Institute of Mental Health, they're now saying 7 million people are bipolar. 11 million will experience it sometime in their lifetime. So I saw a quote that said 4.4 million Americans will experience bipolar at some point in their lifetime. But last year, 2.3 million had active bipolar diagnosis. Now, that was a little misleading to me because that makes it seem like your bipolar disorder goes away. So I was like, I don't like that statistic (laughs) because... I mean, I, you can, I believe you can be, let's use the word in recovery, like you could be in remission, but your bipolar brain is a bipolar brain. It's always going to be. And what I have is, she said, 7 million, half of which or more are on the bipolar spectrum. 
That's one stat. And I believe they're way under, it's those numbers are significantly underreported because both of you guys at the top of the hour when we were chatting said, I have relatives that have this or- But they're not diagnosed. like Undiagnosed bipolar for the reason we just said, you can't, people don't get, they think it's depression. And then also because the stigma, people aren't coming forward. So my like just sort of anecdotal thing since it came out in the book, you know, earlier this year, I've had so many people come up to me and say, you know, every person who I meet that I talk, when I do a book talk, they're like, well, my cousin, my aunt, my uncle, my niece, my nephew. I mean, everybody's got somebody. So I think the numbers are underreported. Is it easier for maybe the, the loved ones like us to see it? Like we can see that the changes are there more so even the person is like, no, no, I'm fine. But we see it. Maybe that's why everyone comes up to you with a story. I don't know if I've ever said anything. My husband is bipolar and I saw the symptoms for a long time before he could to the point where I knew when he was having some manic episodes because my husband is not a big talker. Jen, you've met Eric, not a big talker, right? He's kind of a quiet guy, hangs back. He would come home from work and he would be like, I'm just like, and I'm like, what are you doing? And for an hour and a half, he is just like nonstop talking to me. And I looked at him and I'm like, what, how much caffeine are you on today? What did you take today? And he's like, I didn't take anything. And I'm like, you are not yourself. And this went on for like periods of time, you know, off and on. And I was just like, we do not. And he was being treated for depression. And um, depending on which medication they had him on currently to try to manage his depression, I would see more of these manic episodes. I mean, to the point where one medication they gave him completely cracked him out. This man didn't sleep for three days. And I'm like, call the psychiatrist right now. This is not okay. It took hospitalizations and stuff to get him on the right path. Even then, he wasn't quite on the right path. And it's only been in the last probably two or three years that they finally got his medication managed. But mismanaged medication sent that man to bed for two years. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I know it's really tough. I mean, that was one of the diagnostics that I mentioned, Dr. Perlman, in, in the 11 questionnaire that is available freely on the internet, bipolar spectrum diagnostic test. One of them is just that, you know, did SSRIs, the, the antidepressant drugs, may induce some kind of mania. And I didn't have mania, but I knew I had a trigger switch of a temper, which I don't usually have. And my husband friends noticed that they're like, whoa, what happened there? You know, and then I, in retrospect, I was like, oh, that was when I was on, you know, Prozac. Or it could cause sleeplessness maybe for some, if you're taking an antidepressant, it's wrong for you. Yes. All kinds of stuff that's in the textbook. I'm going to have to be careful because I'm not a doctor. So none of this is diagnosing and I'm not making any recommendations of any kind other than to say it's complex. Get a, as Sherry was saying, find a professional if you can, and you can and read up. And self-advocate. I mean, if, if a doctor gives you a medication and you don't feel like it's helping you or you feel like it's making you worse or it's giving you other weird side effects, don't sit there and keep taking it and say, well, the doctor said this is what I need. Because you know your body more than that doctor does. You're living in it. So, and even if you self-report to him, he still doesn't understand what's happening in your head. You have to speak up and you have to say, this is what's happening to me. 
you know, so many times my husband would tell me something and then we'd get into the office. And luckily he took me to all of his appointments and I sat there and I was his advocate because the doctor would say, how are you feeling? And he'd say, same, fine. And I'm like, no, no, that's not correct. Remember when you told me this? And I would have to actually keep a journal for him of his symptoms and his feelings and stuff so that I could whip it out and be like, no, no. After we started this new medication, this is what's happened. He's doing amazing now. Amazing now. And you know when that happened? When they took him off all antidepressants. Like a flip switched. So So I think the big takeaway so far in this conversation, for me at least, is if you've been diagnosed with depression and the drugs they gave you made you feel worse over time, you may need to go <laughs> check on having having a new diagnosis. It may be bipolar 2 or somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah. Ask for, you know, what Dr. Phelps, who, who wrote the books that have that uh, spectrum test in it, is a guy out of Oregon who has written many groundbreaking works on bipolar spectrum. He says, just test for bipolarity, screen for bipolarity under the do no harm theory. And, you know, a PCP can do that if they're willing. You know, and, and also to build on what you were saying, Sherry, about, you know, be a self-advocate. If your practitioner doesn't welcome that, get a new one. You know, you want somebody who will work with you. Like my psychiatrist, he's working with me. He was like, okay, he wanted to know how are you responding to these things? Because they know it's an, unfortunately, it's an art plus a science. It's not pinpoint uh, when it comes to the brain yet. Well, and I can say my ex-husband was also bipolar. Um, maybe I'm a bipolar magnet. It might be the healer in me. I don't know. I do work in healthcare. I do have a pretty good tolerance level. But anyway, when I first took my ex-husband to see a psychiatrist and I said, look, I really think he's bipolar. He has these highs and lows and he's got these crazy spending issues and like, and then he has this remorse and then that sends him to a low. And the psychiatrist looked at me and he said, if I wrote medications for every husband that a wife comes in and brings and tells me he's bipolar, all I would do is write prescriptions all day long. Every wife thinks their husband's bipolar. And it was exactly, I was like, you've already made up your mind that I'm just being a crazy wife. So I'm like, bye. But you know, you were, what's the word, I guess, had enough self-esteem and proactivity to say that's not going to happen. And we have to encourage people to speak up because you, you know, we're trying to sort of think, oh, the doctor's the expert and they are, but they really need to work with you. You're the expert on your brain, like you guys were saying. So how old were you when you were diagnosed? Well, I'll start with when my first incident was. So I was, and you know, again, I talk about this in my TED Talk. So I'm a 21-year-old kid at an Ivy League school with a 4.0 in science on my way to medical school. And my first bipolar incident happened. And it was like a switch had flipped in my brain and suddenly I couldn't add two plus three. And like someone alien, some alien had abducted my brain and it was absolutely terrifying. So the first incident was at age 21, but I wasn't diagnosed till 46. So 25 years later. And were you continually seeking treatment during that time or was it on and off? On and off. I also had periods where I was fine. My 20s were really rocky, then 30s evened out. And then there was some stuff around infertility. And now I have beautiful 20-year-old twins. So that's it in the rear mirror. But at that time, there's some, you know, where there were rocky periods, it would trigger it. So I didn't consistently seek treatment. But the other thing was that because of the stigma and also because of like, you know, a um, rebellious thing, because my mother was on medication for this stuff and I didn't want to be like her. 
So I thought, you know what, I can beat it. I'll, you know, I'm a competitive athlete. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll run it out. I'll do diet, exercise, yoga, meditation, you know, affirmations, all of which are brilliant and beautiful and important for anyone, but not enough as it turns out if you have bipolar chemistry. So I finally had to surrender almost like an AA thing that this thing was larger than me. You can't just like positive think your way out of it. You can't. All that's going to be good. Like people, you're the healthiest person I know. I'll tell you how old I am. If you want to know, you can do the math. But um, (laughs) 40 years since first onset. But, you know, all of those, we want to encourage all those healthy behaviors for sure. It's part of a kind of system of, of good healthcare for a bipolar or any brain. And what you just said, Jen, it's not going to be sufficient, necessary, but not sufficient if you have this kind of chemistry, this kind of genetics so far anyway. So when you finally received a diagnosis, were you relieved? Yes. I thought, well, now we know. Now it took a minute because it took three months for that medication to work but my, because you had to titrate very slowly. But my guy was like so convinced because of the test he'd given me and he would just say, stay the course. We know what you have which was really a relief. And then also when I would get cynical and like, bullshit, you know, I've been through five psychiatrists. What does he know? I was so frustrated at that point. But he, this guy, Dr. Perlman has office hours from nine to 10 every night, Monday through Thursday. Unbelievable. Cause he's dedicated. Call I call him at nine o'clock. Dr. Perlman is not working. You go stay the course there. We know what you have. So three months later, the switch flipped back on. It was unbelievable. It was like night and day. That's just wonderful. My other question was like, did you have any periods of time where you were just not functioning? Were you in survival mode a lot, just going through the motions? So different people different, right? In the case of my particular variation of bipolar, my depressions are very low and very long. So they would last for on average eight months, eight months without relief every moment being excruciating. And during those periods in the book, I write a long description in the TED Talk too. I say, you know, when most people see someone depressed, they think about emotion, sadness, or they're sad, let's fix their their sadness. But not that's not the case for me. That's not the origin of it. My brain is broken. It simply stops working. I can't add anymore. I had 800s in math. I can't do the laundry. I'm like frozen in the supermarket aisle trying to choose peanut butters because it's way too overwhelming. Dishes are impossible. I can't sequence tasks. So I am completely incapable. And without the help of my beautiful husband and before him, beautiful friends, you know, I know I'd be in the streets. And that's where that, that, you know, in your title, it says from broken to blessed. That's the broken part. Your brain was broken and you couldn't do what you needed to do. Exactly. And, you know, when you come from a high functioning brain, it's terrifying, right? Because oh, what the heck happened? Where's my good brain? And and then, you know, in the first time that that happened, you know, it's brutal. Yeah, because you can't you're not capable. And so the emotional I think I think if the emotional grief and despair comes as a result of the broken brain, not the other way around. I have heard and you maybe, you know, the this, whether this is a myth or actual, there's any data behind it. I have heard that people who suffer from bipolar disorder, there's a seven year swing where like every seven years you like, you may have a period of like seven years that go really, really 
like well and balanced. And then by if everything's going well, that at seven years, for some reason, there's some swing, whether it's hormonal or whatever, and people tend to have like a relapse of symptoms. Have you ever heard that before? I have not. Okay. See, a psychiatrist told me that. <laughs> so my husband's been really good for about two, maybe almost three years. And I'm like, okay, do I need to start really watching him in the next three or four years? So, okay. Maybe just a myth. I did have a relapse after my diagnosis and good meds around the time of, uh, a lot of times it's when there's, it seems to be when there's a lot of stressors. So my mom was diagnosed with uh, terminal cancer her death and dying was just like four months from soup to nuts. At the same time, I had a shoulder injury which, where I couldn't sleep, and sleep is essential to bipolar brain. Insomnia or lack of, what's that called? You know, sleep, I guess insomnia can lead, can trigger. It's like recipe for disaster for bipolar brain. So I wasn't sleeping, shoulder, my mother. And then the third thing was, hello, ladies, perimenopause. So this doesn't happen for men, I'm guessing, but there's all this research now that the sort of rocky hormonal thing. And it kind of makes sense, right? That's happening in perimenopause is very challenging for, bi and they, for bipolar women. And they, there's research that confirms that women who've been treated beautifully for a long time can have a relapse during the transition. That makes a lot of sense because everything changes. I'm on the other side of menopause. So. Carrie, <laughs> you're not sure. You think you're in the, the middle of the transition. I think I'm in there somewhere. I'm 48. So yeah. I mean, I think that in retrospect, that is very challenging with the hormones. It gives you hormones and chemistry. And I'm through all that. Please, God, maybe I hope your seven year stretch is wrong. Well, it makes me wonder how many women, you know, they say that it's usually onset occurs in the 20s, right? Early 20s. So um, it makes me wonder. But then I actually read a statistic that sometimes in women, it shows up in their 40s. And I, it makes me wonder how many people really had sort of a, a low level, high functioning bipolar disorder that was always kind of there. And then the hormonal changes really highlight it. Yeah, that could make a lot of sense. I mean, and when I, when that, when I was going through that, I'm in from Massachusetts, we there was this woman who was leading the re research nationally, just happened to be at University of Massachusetts Medical School not far from here. I went, I met with her. She interviewed me for two hours. She's nodding her head the whole time. This is exactly what you have. I'm like waiting with bated breath. And she goes, well, we don't know anything to do, what to do about it. We just know that's what's happening. We know what it is. That's all you get. <laughs> we need more research. It does make complete sense. I just saw a PET scan of a, like a woman's brain and then a woman's brain after menopause. And everything in their brain looks different on a PET scan after menopause. So it would make sense to me that add, I mean, your bipolar brain's different anyways, right? So then you throw a menopause in there. I, it would be interesting to see what that brain activity looked like on a, on a spec scan or a PET scan for a bipolar person after menopause. So at some point you get to ask me about bipolar pride. Because, you know, we have so much stigma against people with mental health issues and certainly people with bipolar is like anathema, you know, but it turns out, you know, the treated bipolar brain is, can be very high functioning, right? It's epic if you look up famous bipolar people and it's like a list a mile long in the back of my book, I have pages and pages and pages of people that you would be like, wow, Abraham Lincoln, you know, all kinds of folks. So I think there's a, there's a very high functioning brain when it's well treated. 
And then the other thing I talk about is that because when I was just about to press send on my book, I still was nervous. I had this like primal fear, like I can't go out in public because I'll lose all my clients. I'm a consultant. You know, um, the stigma is still out there. My kids will be embarrassed. Well, one thing is the kids are like, go for it, mom. This is the most important thing you could do. God bless them. And they said, don't worry about our generation doesn't care. We know all about this mental health stuff. It's your generation's having a problem. So there was that. But my, my editor said to me, okay, I want you to go home and write this assignment. I'm bipolar and a better person because of it. So I went and wrote the assignment. And after I did, I was ready to publish the book. And I came up with four things. You want to hear them? I do. I really want to hear them. This is what I call bipolar pride. With all respect to LGBTQI+, this is pride, right? So um, one is we will not judge you because there, but for the grace of God, we could be in the streets too and we know it, right? So we will not judge you and we will not leave you. Another one is that because of what's at risk for our brain health, we're super disciplined about brain health and we could coach you on that. My friends tell me I am their North Star on self-care. Could I please tell them what I do, right? So that's, that's that about brain health. Then there's, there's the one about emotional fearlessness, I call it, which is that, you know, there's nothing you can do to scare me away because that my brain hasn't already done to me. So I do some coaching and, you know, basically you can go as deep as you need to and I'll be right there with you because it's not going to scare me. And then finally, it's like this off the charts gratitude. And that's contagious because when you've been to hell and back, every day when your brain is working is a miracle. That is like celebration time. Well, that also is apparent in your subtitle, From Broken to Blessed, because you you knew what it was like to, to have the broken brain, but now you're feeling blessed that you've figured it out and that your medication has made it so that your life can be beautiful. Yeah, blessed. And when you, you know, it's like, I don't know what it'd be like to not seeing and opening your eyes. I mean, whatever the, the thing that would be where oh my God, this brain that it works, it's an awesome miracle every day. And everything about, you know, life is a blessing. So people are like, yeah, it's a little Pollyanna. Like, really? You think that? Oh yeah. If you've been where I've been, you'd know why. It makes me think, have you ever had the experience where you couldn't see and then you got your eyes checked, you found out you needed glasses. And when you put glasses on the first time, you're like, oh gosh, there's leaves on the trees. There's actually blades of grass in the yard. And that's what it makes me think of. It's like, you know, life is sort of gray blur and then you get clarity and everything's clear and bright. And that's wonderful. You know, I think you talked about stigma. I hate that. Can I just say that? But you know where I think a lot of it comes from? I think it's fear. People don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to relate to a person or what to say or what not to say. And I mean, because really, why else would there be a stigma about mental health issues other than I think it's fear? I think it's it's fear from the public. They don't know what to say. So don't talk about it. You know, brush it under the rug, act like it's not there, but it's there. It's there. It's there for the person living it. It's there for the people who are supporting those people in their lives. So we need to talk about it. We need to be more educated. Every single person, whether you have bipolar disorder or somebody in your family has bipolar disorder, or it could be a coworker you have that has bipolar disorder, you need to understand the illness and you need to understand what the signs and symptoms are because you could save a life. What's happened as a result of the book 
is a lot of people have come up to me and either for myself, my friends going, Oh my God, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I wasn't there for you. Or other readers saying my sister-in-law and I just don't know what to do. And I, I I'm scared. Like you're saying, effectively, she's saying I'm scared because I think I'm going to screw it up. You know, can you help me? So I end up, I came up with, I call my EMT emergency mental health team toolkit for allies. What do you want to do to help? Because, you know, if you don't have a bipolar brain or some other neurodiverse brain pattern, chances are, you know, someone who does, as a matter of fact, for sure, because the National Alliance of Mental Illness says one in five Americans right now live with a mental health challenge. That's like 66 million people. So you got to know, look right, look left. There's somebody that you know and love who's challenged and they're not telling you about it. So what can you do? So there's four things. So basically the first thing is don't expect to just like cheer them up with your joie de vivre or shame them into doing something because it's not going to help, even though that's understandable that you might want to, those are normal human reactions, but here's what I say can help. One, One, reach in. Don't expect them to reach out. You know, you don't say, oh, you know, call me if you need anything. No, you reach in because they will not reach out to you because they're too shamed, embarrassed and don't have the energy. That means you make the phone calls, you knock on their door. So reach in, don't expect them to reach out. Then secondly is, um, all right, so listen without judgment. Don't try to fix it. You can't, right? But just accompanying this person, they are living on an island of despair and shame. All you have to do is show up and listen with love. That's a huge healer right there right? Because they feel isolated. So there's that. Then I say, okay, but then there's those of you that have to do something. So the third one is just do it. And that is you pick up the kids, you make the appointments, you take them to the dentist, you take them to the doctor, you choose the peanut butters, you fold the laundry, you fill the freezer. These tasks are Herculean for your friend. They can't do them. You do them. And then the last thing, number four is create a posse support team for you because there's no way any one person can do this by themselves. And you need backup so you don't burn out. But that community is going to be beautiful. And you'll all be there for each other because someday you're going to need it. You know, I love that. The idea of, you know, being where they need you to be, not just, you know, we all have said it. Oh, let me know if I can help. No, they're not going to let you know. They're not going to tell you they need help. I'm not bipolar. I don't have, but I don't ask for help. So I can only imagine if I were struggling with mental health problems, I would definitely not ask for help. From my friend. I mean, in my case, I would forget that you're my friend, even though you're my best friend. I would never want to reach out and call you because I'd be too ashamed. And even if I did want to, I don't know where my phone is or it's not charged or I can't find your phone number. By the time I get to the phone, I forget who I was calling. So it's like this. I remember one time my best friend came down. I was living in Florida for a few months because my daughter had breathing issues. Best place for her was warm before they were in school. They were little. You know, it was that thing. I was on a call with a doctor. The pad of paper was in the kitchen. By the time I got from where I was calling to the kitchen, which was like 50 feet away, I forgot what I was writing down. I forgot what the conversation it was. And she looks at me and she had tears and she says, oh my God, I didn't realize it was this bad. I was like, yeah, it is. So then she organized the whole posse when I got home. That's so great. And I have to say from my husband's perspective, he didn't want to ask me for help because he already felt like he was a burden to me. So he didn't want to burden me anymore. So I had to just take charge and just do it. Just do it. And you know, the suicidality of this thing, any of these mental health challenges, your brain is telling you your family will be better off without you. The mental health brain that is hooked on a negative loop is speaking lies. 
telling you these absolute lies because your family would be devastated. But yes, yeah, so you don't want to you don't want to bother them anymore. Well, Sarah, this has been a very important conversation. How can people find you and your book and and your website and connect with you? Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. Well, the book is called Brainstorm from Broken to Blessed on the Bipolar Spectrum. Brainstorm, you can find it on Amazon and all all the various formats. If you like audio, you can have that, hardcovers, ebook, whatever. So if you look up my last name, if you can't remember the subtitle, Sarah Schley Brainstorm on Amazon, you'll find it there. The reviews are in stellar, and I have to say I'm very honored by that because people write really moving things if you go on there and look at the reviews from Amazon. My uh, website, which has a lot of, uh, it's got podcasts and YouTube channel and a whole bunch of blogs and stuff. That's sarahschley.com. It's spelled, my last name, I got to spell it out for you. S-A-R-A, no H, Sarah, S-C-H-L-E-Y.com, sarahschley.com. And you'll probably put that in the notes. We will. We'll have that in the show notes. Awesome. And you can sign up there, you know, to be on my mailing list or whatever, to hear about things. I've got a TED Talk. It it was done. It won't be up though. And for a few months, because they do all this post-production stuff from the TEDx and then it goes up on the TED site. That won't be till September though, but you would hear a lot of the stuff we talked about tonight. Well, I know that feels like a real accomplishment to have having having done that. You said you had a YouTube channel. Will you be posting your TED Talk to your YouTube channel when it's uh, available? Yeah, I will. They won't let me do it yet. Right. I will put your YouTube channel in show notes as well so that people can look for that later. And there's a lot of things on there too with different resources. On my website, sarahschley.com, there is a resource page. And if you look on there, you can see the link to the diagnostic spectrum test, which is in the public domain and other resources like NAMI and that I've mentioned on this talk. Well, thank Thank you you so much. much. Thank you both. It's great chatting with you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. Not only can you interact with us in a private online community, you can connect with other listeners and community members. Sherry is hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk. I went to the first one. I'm going to have to miss the second one because we're moving. But by the time this comes out, the second one will have already happened, right? Because y'all are having it like this weekend, Friday, tomorrow. Oh, I hate that I'm going to miss it. So you can join us in the new VIP community by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Choose your monthly membership contribution of $4.99 or $9.99, and you can change to a different tier at the end of any month by managing your subscription within the platform. Choose the option that feels like the right value to you. Um, If you truly get value from the podcast each week, we would hope that you would be willing to choose a higher package because it really helps support the work that we do on the podcast and the costs associated with it. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. And today's listener-led lesson comes from Deb. Deb says, my best tip for those of us who are height challenged, (laughs) she says, I'm 5'2", and I have an extra large top loading washer. The drum is very deep. Getting wet clothes out of it is difficult at best. I now use an extra long set of tongs like the barbecue length. I purchased one that was more expensive versus buying a cheaper one because I wanted to make sure I grabbed the item and it would hold it. Best $20 I've ever spent. I put up a command strip hook in the laundry room and it hangs there for only laundry. It's been a game changer. That's a great tip. It is a great tip. And now I'm nervous because our new house has (laughs) extra large top loading washer. We're leaving front loaders here. And um, the the new house has the top loader. But I did laundry already one time at the new house when we were there getting things set up and it was okay. 
Does it have the agitator or is it the... No, it's... See, mine doesn't either. And I went with top load. Yeah, I'm really kind of excited about that because it seems like it holds even more than a front loader maybe. Yeah, and I just had problems with my front loader always being a little... I always had an odor problem. See, we never had that problem. We never had it. I don't know why. We've had two LG front loaders. One we had for a very long time at our old house, and we left it there when we moved because I don't like moving washers and dryers because they're the biggest pain to move in the world. But we got a second LG here. We've had no problems, but we had that other one for like over 10 years, and it never got a weird odor. But this is an LG set, and I was actually so excited. I didn't realize it was LG. Then I started pressing the buttons, and it makes the same exact happy sounds. That my other one, I mean, just those little things. Like when you turn the dial, it goes, do, 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 I was like, hello. <laughs> it's cheerful. I like my LG. So anyway, the things that make me happy. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Linda. The quote is, believe in your infinite potential. Your only limitations are those you set upon yourself. Believe in yourself, your abilities, and your own potential. Never let self-doubt hold you captive. You are worthy of all that you dream of and hope for. And it is from The Light in the Heart, Inspirational Thoughts for Living Your Best Life by Roy T. Bennett. Linda shared, I saw this quote when going through a divorce several years ago. At that point in my life, I was feeling like I was a failure. Everything was impossible and that I would never succeed on my own and felt that my dreams of a happy future had gone down the drain. But when I read this quote, It hit me in the gut like a punch. I realized that just because my marriage failed, I was not a failure. I worked hard at my marriage. It was my ex who was not emotionally invested and chose to follow his own path. During the months that I was feeling down, feeling sorry for myself, and not feeling empowered, I let those thoughts and feelings grow and become distorted. I realized then that my ex-husband and my failed marriage wasn't holding me back. I was. And if I wanted a happy future... And if I didn't want to grow old and alone and lonely, I needed to create the future I desired. I cleaned up my act. I decided to love my single life because if I couldn't love myself enough to follow my dreams, why would anybody else love me enough to share in my dreams? 12 months to the day after my divorce was finalized, I went out for an afternoon walk in the park. I was determined not to let that day get to me. While there, I struck up a conversation with a man. We kept in touch, met for walks here and there. And one day he said, I looked up at the park that day and I saw you walking and smiling in the sunshine. And I thought, there is a lady living her best life. I would love to be part of that. He asked me out to dinner that day and we have been inseparable ever since. Last summer, we got married. I am worthy of all I dreamed of. And when I believed it, I received it. Dream big, my friends. Dream big. Oh, that one makes me want to tear up. I was like, I'm glad I'm not reading that one. That is a beautiful story, Linda. I love that so much. But I love the, if you can't love yourself enough to follow your dreams, why would anyone, that, that's powerful. Love yourself. It all starts with loving yourself, honestly. Then you just go through life with a different approach to everything. That's beautiful. Well, Thank you for joining us today, everybody. I'm always sad when we get to the end because this is so much fun. Join us in the new Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 per month. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We would also love for you to leave a review on Spotify or iTunes. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or would you like to be featured as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.